Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Nothing was the same. It can never go back to what it was, at least after the week that was in Seattle sports. Not just the Seahawks, but the Mariners, too. Holy cow, Taylor. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. And, Taylor, this last week, I don't know if there's ever been a crazier week in what is deemed the offseason period, but I don't even know if there's been a crazier week when both the Seahawks and Mariners have been playing. We're still trying to pick up every piece that has been blown to smithereens this week, but... We're here. We're still standing. The Mariners and Seahawks, they're still standing, I guess. But what do you just make of the craziness that was this past week? I mean, it's it's you really have to live it to understand it. And I'm assuming in years from now, Seahawks fans and Mariner fans will look back on this and hopefully be able to laugh. And hopefully be able to think about how silly those times were and and what were we even thinking, Russell Wilson being traded or the Mariners being derailed again potentially by some comments made by a former employee now. So it was, uh, well, at least it gave us something to talk about today. And uh, wow, what a seven days. From the time we signed off last Saturday to, to this moment right now. (laughs) <laughs> has has been a journey for a lot of us. So, uh, but look, yeah. we're in it with you guys, right? We we're here. We're t- we're here to talk through it. Talk through some of the nonsense, some of the non nonsense, some of the sense. And uh, yeah, we're going to spend the next two hours, hopefully, trying to sort through some of that. A couple of weeks ago, we had talked about the Russell Wilson stuff when it first came out when he went on to Dan Patrick, and we were like, "This is the stuff that sports radio is made of." Little did I know that that was an understatement for the week that we just had because that was actually the real stuff that sports radio is made for because you've got the Mariners and, like you said, a former employee airing out state secrets, airing out everything in that organization and insulting pretty much everybody along the way. And then you get that piece in The Athletic that detailed just how deep the divide is right now between Pete Carroll, John Schneider, and Russell Wilson as the Seahawks try to appease their starting quarterback or maybe don't try to appease him. Maybe they say, you know what, Russ, we have had it with you trying to dictate where this franchise goes, and maybe we do move on from you. Who knows how that shakes out over the coming weeks and months of this offseason as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. I would imagine there's going to be more and more uh, stuff that comes out. Who knows how, how this is going to end with both teams. But I I love the topics that it has given us over this last week. Hate that there may be some uh, you know, some crossfire along the way and, you know, people definitely got their feelings hurt this week. People definitely are left kind of wondering what their future is in these two organizations. And we're going to do our best to try and sort through the mess here over the next two hours on Seattle Sports Saturday. If you want to join in on the conversation, you always can on the Busy Yard Seltzer text line 710-710. We are with you up until 1 o'clock today. Uh, we've also got you know some college basketball going on as well. You know We're going to check in on those scores as they happen. I believe the Huskies in Arizona have tipped off. Uh, on CBS, so we'll keep you updated on that. But Taylor, 
Let's get into this one. Let's get into this messy, messy edition of Seattle Sports Saturday with this hour's Big Three. Number one. Well, Curtis, we've just been talking about it, but we thought it was all quiet on the Western front for the Seahawks heading into the offseason, but it's uh, more Russ versus the Seahawks. The trial continues, and it's not been quiet at all. The quarterback through his agent, Mark Rogers, saying that he has not demanded a trade. Uh, as as Mark Rogers told ESPN's Adam Schefter on Thursday. However, Rogers said that Wilson has told the Seahawks he does want to play here, but if a trade were to happen, these are the four destinations he'd like to go to. Dallas, New Orleans, Las Vegas, and Chicago. So, very weird language to say you want to be a Seahawk, you want to stay here, and then to come back with four teams you'd also like to play for that aren't Seattle or the Seahawks. So sources involved have continued to maintain that uh, to ESPN and others that Seattle has not approached Wilson about a trade or a potential deal in place or anything like that. And to be honest, it's still most likely un- unlikely to be pulled off this offseason. Uh, but the athletic again this Thursday outlines some of the tension between the two and uh, we'll dive into that a little bit more coming up in the next segment number two well I'm almost certain the Bellevue Rotary Club wasn't expecting to get state secrets from now ex-Mariners president Kevin Mather in an early February zoom call but they came away from that meeting knowing more about the M's organizational plan than just about anyone Little did whoever is in charge of the club's YouTube page know the kind of firestorm they were about to set off by posting that entire conversation for public consumption. The video discovered by Twitter user at Seattle Sun Devil, and as an Arizona Wildcat, it pains me to say this, but shout out to that Sun Devil. And some of the topics uh, in that video included discussing a contract offer Jared Kelnick had turned down, the manipulation of Kelnick's service time, how they price gouged fans with their parking prices, Julio Rodriguez's English speaking, Hisashi Iwakuma's use of an interpreter that Mather didn't want to keep paying, Kyle Seeger's likely final season in Seattle, and James Paxton's free agency. That list really only scratches the surface of all that was covered. And as for the fallout, Mather resigned from his position effective immediately on Monday. So, what will be the long term impacts of Mather's comments? We'll get into that today at 11.30. Number three. Pac-12 basketball's regular season ends after Monday and moves to the Pac-12 tournament. However, before that, we got to end this regular season. And on Thursday, we saw the the Pac-12 season start to boil down here. Remy Martin, I just love that name, so I had to put it in there, scored 31 points as Arizona State pulled away with a late 8-0 run to defeat the Washington Huskies 80-72 on Thursday night. UW are playing Arizona currently to wrap up their regular season and await the beginning of the Pac-12 tournament on March 10th to hopefully give them some sort of hope of a brighter future ahead. But so far, this season has been nothing but sort of uh, bleak outlooks for the dogs there on Montlake. And on the other side of the mountains in the Palouse, Noah Williams, who had a school record 72 points in two games the follow or the previous weekend, was held to just eight points on two of 15 shooting, one of eight from beyond the arc as Arizona 
actually pretty much dominated the Cougs in that game. 69-53 controlled pretty much every aspect of that game. Wazoo wrapping up their regular season today against the Sun Devils and on Monday to end their makeup game. So you can hear both those games right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. That is this hour's big three. Uh, Taylor, you mentioned the Huskies and the Cougs playing today uh, down in the desert and then also Monday for ASU. you got Gonzaga taking on Loyola Marymount later tonight. Uh, the Zags still perfect in the regular season. Uh, so can they keep it up? I think they absolutely can, especially yeah. if the West Coast tournament, the West Coast Conference tournament uh, plays out, uh, which they still plan to have as far as I can tell down in Las Vegas. Um, but, yeah. Crazy, crazy week. Jordan Morris, Taylor, former, well, mm-hmm. actually, Sounders lone player over to Swansea City, yeah. uh, unfortunately tearing his ACL in just his fifth match with Swansea, which means he's going to be out for, I would say, at least eight, nine months before we see him back out on a on a pitch again. That news obviously buried with the craziness of the Mariners and the Seahawks this week, but uh, what do you make of Jordan Morris suffering that brutal injury just a just a fraction of the way into his his uh, career over in Europe? Yeah, really unfortunate timing. Again, this is his other ACL. People remember he did tear uh, the ACL in his other knee. Uh, a couple years back. So this, a little bit of good news. Again, I don't think tearing your ACL in either knee at any point in your life is good news. But uh, again, just unfortunate for Swansea City. You know, most likely he's not going to end up back there. This That will end the loan. He will come back to the Sounders and, and be a part of that organization. But uh yeah, just just really unfortunate timing. Uh, again, Swansea City trying to make that push to the Premier League and using a guy like Jordan Morris, you know, having him be that spark off the bench, having him be a consistent sort of thirty-minute goal-scoring option at the end of a match. There, uh, you just hate to see it, and and it's also unfortunate for Team USA, and they love having Jordan Morris on the team. You know, he's not again. He plays that role player. Um, hat. He wears that role player hat for that team. So it's just all around unfortunate. Local guy, Mercer Island guy. So, you know, our hearts go out to him. Quick recovery and, you know, hopefully now he can come back motivated and bring some of that motivation to a Sounders organization that may need him. Yeah. Throughout the week on 710 with Jake and Stacy, we had kind of done a, a sports forecast in, in the city of Seattle and every day, it just never got better. And you, you pile the Jordan Morris news on top of what happened with the Seahawks and Mariners this week. Did anybody have a good week, Taylor? Can you think of anybody in Seattle sports that had a good week? Uh, no, I'm just like scrolling through. <laughs> I think like Luke Wilson did a promotional thing with the Seawolves rugby team. So yeah, that's sure. great. This. Seattle surged. Uh, the Call of Duty team didn't look that good in their matchup this past oh, week, man. and I love the surge, but I think they got swept. Uh, so, yeah, Curtis, it was not a uh, great, great week for the uh, city of Seattle. But look, we all went through it together. Literally, it yeah, doesn't did. matter what team you support. Cougs, dogs, <laughs> you were you were in the thick of it in the in the nasty this week. So, not good. Yeah. Taking some L's. We all took some L's this week. Uh, but let's get into this because 
there is no better way to rip the Band-Aid off than just quickly. So we're going to dive into it next with the saga of Russell Wilson versus the Seattle Seahawks, the next chapter being written this week. How can they bounce back from this, or is this the beginning of the end between this 10-year partnership? We talk that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. The dirt has been dished in every single way between the Seahawks and Russell Wilson, at least so far. And it was detailed very thoroughly in The Athletic this week in a piece done by Michael Sean Dugar, Mike Sando, and Jason Jenks. If you haven't had a chance to read it, be sure you do so because there is plenty of nuggets in there that are going to be hard to sort through or at least hard to get past if you're Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. And Taylor, for the most part, this partnership between Russ, Pete, and John has gone off without a hitch for the better part of a decade, at least publicly. Who knows what it's been like behind closed doors, but we did get a peek at sort of what that might be like this week. Of all the details in that article, Taylor, that you read... Which ones jumped out to you the most? Because there was plenty. There was uh, the storming out of the film session before the Arizona game this year. There was Nate Carroll getting promoted after leaving the team for a brief moment in time. Uh, Sort of wondering, you know, who is holding Pete Carroll accountable in that locker room. Plenty of other stuff in there as well. Russ texting Jake Heaps at the Super Bowl. Our guy, Jake Heaps. Uh, what stood out to you from this article? Well, I think we'll, I'll, I'll start with the, the storming out of the meeting part, right? Because this happened, again, after probably the worst two-week stretch maybe of his entire career, right? So you read into it that they that he wants some change, right? He wants to make something different, and I love that from any player. Not just Russ. And again, that needs to be made clear. It's not like Russell is the only person who wants to win on this team. Like the defense doesn't want to win. The offensive line doesn't want to win. The running backs don't want to win. They all want to win, right? We just talk about Russell because he's the quarterback. He's the star. He's at the... He, look, he wears a different color jersey at practice. Whether we like it or not, those players are treated differently in the media, on the team, on the field. It just is different when you're the quarterback. So, to me, it was almost like, yes, this is a red flag. And again, this is it's no disrespect to the article. The article was really well written and researched. But it almost brought me back to a little bit of ease that I was like, well, you know what? This is what you want him to be doing after bad games. You want him to be thinking about how he can get better. In any industry, when you fail, and when you fail the hardest, the bounce back should be the most motivating thing to you. So to me, I saw that, and I saw some of this reasoning of why things have boiled over into the public, and it's because Russell just wants to win so bad, he's trying to figure out ways to use whatever leverage he has. Whole nother topic about what leverage a quarterback should or does have. He's trying to use some of that leverage to get back some of those pieces on the offense and some of the things he desires to win and not 
selfishly to get more money or to do things like that. He just wants to win Super Bowls. He doesn't want to sit at the sideline in the owner's suite. He wants to be sitting on the on the bench looking at plays in between drives and going out there and competing. But to me, that's what really jumped out. What do you think, Curtis? What was the biggest nugget you took away from that athletic article on Thursday? Yeah, the biggest nugget for me, I, I think, is the storming out of the film session heading into that Arizona game. And then we saw what the game plan was in that Arizona game. And it was to protect the football. It was to not take shots. It was to be very conservative through the passing game. I don't even think Russell Wilson broke 200 yards passing that night. And he was, I think, 23 of 28 through the air, which a lot of those passes were you know, easy throws to make. I don't know if he had a, a pass attempt that was more than – you know, maybe 20 or so yards throughout the entire night. That, to me, Russ storming out of that film session says to me that that is somebody who's very competitive, first off, and somebody that is not being heard by the coaching staff who is implementing this game plan. And I don't know if it was necessarily Brian Schottenheimer, you know, his decision to go with the conservative offense in that game. I think it was much more of a Pete Carroll type thing because, as we know, Pete Carroll, one of his main points that he drives home all the time is it's all about the ball, and he cannot stand turnovers even if the Seahawks are still putting up, what, 34 points they they did the week prior against Buffalo when they turned the ball over, I think, what was it, four times, five times? They still got in the end zone a lot that game. And to be fair... I think the biggest problem with that Buffalo game was the defense. It was Quentin Dunbar having to cover those wide receivers while he was hurt. Like that was the biggest reason I think they lost that game was the defense couldn't they couldn't shut anybody down that day. And it was weird to me to see the Seahawks offense just kind of put the training wheels back on for Russell Wilson midway through the season when they had put up points like crazy in the first half of of the year. To me, that didn't make much sense. And then the other thing that stood out to me, I think, is is the Nate Carroll stuff. I think Pete having, you know, not really anybody in the organization that can hold his feet to the fire at this point, uh, other than Nate Carroll, that he has said. Uh, I believe it was Michael Sean Dugar who asked him in his end-of-the-season press conference, like, who holds you accountable? And he mentioned Nate Carroll. He mentioned Brennan Carroll. And he mentioned Carl Tater-Smith. Tater Smith and Brendan Carroll are no longer with the team. So it's Nate Carroll and you promote him. It just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why they gave him, you know, another opportunity. Um, But that's, you know, a whole nother conversation. I just, to me, the whole thing, like you said, Taylor is about leverage. And a lot of people I think have a tough time understanding the amount of leverage that Russell Wilson has because you and I and Joe in, you know, Muckle Teo has never made $35 million in their life. And to have that kind of leverage for your workplace is something 99.9% of us will never experience. And so when somebody does try to do that, it is kind of wild to see. And it's like, what kind of workplace behavior is this? Well, Russell Wilson wants to win, and he knows that his top-earning days in the NFL are not as you know are not as prominent as they were early on in his career. Like he's only going to have maybe one more contract, maybe two more contracts after this one. It, to me, 
I don't blame Russell Wilson for wanting to win as much as he can right now. Yeah, and again, this is just something it it happens in sports, not just football. You see it with a lot of star players. Look, if you watch the last dance last year and you watch what happened with the Bulls and Michael Jordan and the the budding of heads between I mean, look, everyone knew what Michael Jordan was in that moment too, right? They knew how special of a player he was and what he meant to that organization, but at the same time, they were heading towards a rebuild and Jordan's trying to use what he can to get them to stop, trying to win as much as he can to get them to stop. There's all these things he was trying to do with his leverage to get that situation handled. It's the same thing here with Russell Wilson. The the only thing that's jarring to Seahawks fans is he's been so robotic in the public and he's been such a positive public figure that anything against that, and this isn't even negative, is perceived to be negative. And it's different than what we've we've come to know from Russell. And that's where it's jarring for people. And understandably so. They're, they're taken aback by Russell saying things in public, saying his true feelings in public, and then airing out other things in public now. So for Russell, again, this whole end game, and Curtis, uh, I'm sure you'll you'll feel this too, is just about winning in Seattle. He doesn't truly want to go to those four locations, but by saying that, the Seahawks now ha- are in the place where, okay, he's put some teams in the in the public. We have to come back with a counter move or a response or a no response. You have to do something when the ball is in their court. Now the ball is in the Seahawks' court. We'll see what happens. But this is a game that gets played in every sport in every offseason. And it gets played with just about any big-time quarterback worth their salt. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, do you think he's never held the Packers' feet to the fire? He got Mike McCarthy fired in in Green Bay. Look at Houston and Deshaun Watson. He's trying to, you know, use his leverage, or and it didn't work. So now he wants out. Uh, you look at Tom Brady. He tried to use his leverage in New England, and Bill Belichick was like, you know what? We don't need you anymore, pal. Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay, wins a Super Bowl. How do you think Patriots fans feel about that? I think they feel as though they could have ran it back at least one more time with Tom and got another Super Bowl. You don't want to be the guy that breaks up with the quarterback. You know, Time and time again, we see teams ch- choose either to go with a head coach or go with the quarterback when there is friction between the two. And to, in my viewpoint of all these feuds that we've seen over the years, you're better off going with the quarterback because they've got a longer time left in their career than the coach does, and especially Pete Carroll, who signed that five-year deal midway through this last season. I, you know, five years left to Pete Carroll. I would imagine Russ plays longer than five years in the NFL. Now, the amount of sacks that he has taken, or, or the amount of the amount of sacks that he's responsible for, could play a big role in how much longer he plays. But I would feel much more comfortable in with the Seahawks if Russell Wilson were still on this roster and they were transitioning to a new head coach whenever it is that Pete Carroll decides to step away because it's good to have at least one of the two. It's not good to have zero of the two, and you run that risk here if you trade Russell Wilson before Pete Carroll's contract runs out. The number of people in this organization I would get rid of 
instead or the, instead of Russell Wilson is every single one. He's the one person you cannot get rid of. And I think Matthew Barry tweeted that that literally anyone else in the organization I'm putting above Russell on the order of who's getting out of here first because you just they for Seahawk fans who aren't Seahawk fans post or pre 2006 you understand what it looked like to try and get a quarterback how difficult it was go to any other organization that's looking for a star quarterback and ask them how difficult it is to find one and when you get one you sure as heck don't let them walk out the door because of some things said in the public that's not how this happens so russell to me isn't going anywhere this season and this there's more pressure on everyone to win more than ever. And they won 12 games last year. So they got to up it next year. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on Russ, too. So he's also got to deliver. Coming up in a little less than 20 minutes, who will have the tougher time restoring order, the Seahawks or the Mariners? But before that conversation, what will be the biggest lasting impact of Kevin Mathers' comments made to the Bellevue Rotary Club this week? with the Mariners. We get into that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. You know, it's not too often you see the Mariners on the very front page of ESPN.com. That's just how it is. Being on the West Coast, and being a team that hasn't made the playoffs in a couple decades, that's just your that that's just what we're relegated to here as Mariner fans and as people that cover the Mariners. Not often they're going to be front page makers in in the national sense. Definitely local sense it happens quite often, but on the national level you don't really ever see them there at least not often. But this week Definitely changed the the narrative of that as Kevin Mather and his comments made to the Bellevue Rotary Club were made public. Uh, he made those on February 5th, so about three weeks ago, and the video of it surfaced last weekend. In fact, it was about Sunday afternoon when it started to catch fire, and the fallout from it has been swift, but I don't know if we're going to truly see the lasting effects of the fallout for maybe a couple of years, Taylor, because what he said, not only how he said it, but who he said it to and what he said it about are just going to be fires that this Mariners organization are going to have to put out for quite some time. Yeah, Curtis, and you're, <clears throat> I don't think there's any denying that, right? You look at the, the names, the situations, the, the, the people he, he named, and he, he sort of, I don't want to say outed, but he, he expressed his feelings about all of these things. And, you know, you, you think about the fire and the damage that was done here, yes. But to me, again, Mainly just because I've been a Mariner fan my whole life. I've been a Coug fan now most of my life. I know what it's like to lose, Curtis, and I know what it's like to deal with being a loser. Just flat out, right? So to me, um, the thing I see coming from this situation and that I pray comes from this situation is that 
the fire is ignited in these players. And I know Bob and or, uh, Wyman and Bob joked about it, but the major league, the movie, that scenario where they are so united by their hate for Kevin Mather or the ex-president or whatever by the comments, that fire fuels this team to take that next step forward and to truly become the team that, that we want as fans to see them become. Now, whether or not that will happen, that's really on a lot of these players on how they don't let these comments linger and and they don't internalize it and they use this moment to get better julio rodriguez and jared kelnick use this opportunity to try and make the team as hard as they can and if not they go down to the minors and they tear it up so that they have to bring them up and that the 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 clamoring and the the noise to bring those players is too loud to ignore so to me, I'm hoping that from this fire, the phoenix of the Mariners is truly born. But what do you think, Curtis? Do you think this will be beyond repair, or do you think this is something that can actually be used as a fire to help the Mariners? I think the steps that the Mariners are taking immediately aftermath are going to really reflect on how long this will last, how long this shadow will be cast on this organization. I think you mentioned the common enemy sort of thing where the players can unite in that bond of playing really against what Kevin Mather had to say. Marco Gonzalez mentioned as much in his first meeting with the media this week uh, saying, you know, Hey, we've all got a common enemy now. And maybe that brings the guys a little bit closer together, but just looking at the, just each individual case, you know, Jared Kelnick with his service time, now he goes public with USA Today and says, you know, I, my service time clock is being manipulated. I'm being held down in the minor leagues solely for, uh, you know, the Mariners to get an extra year of club control. Uh, you know, Julio Rodriguez, the comments made about his English speaking skills, which, by the way, are perfectly fine like you can understand what he's saying he has worked incredibly hard on speaking english he makes a point to do his interviews in english he's only what 20 years old how can you get mad at a kid who's only been speaking english for you know three or four years of his life like that that to me is just ridiculous that what kevin mather had to say about that uh you know those are your two franchise cornerstones or guys who you're hoping become cornerstones and what makes them want to stay here any longer than they have to be? You know, because Kelnick turned down that contract offer, which means he right now is eyeing free agency after, I think, what, 2027 at this point? And Julio, who knows when he's going to be up, but what's giving him any reason to stick around? Uh, looking at the free agent class for next season, Taylor, has been something that a lot of Mariner fans have kind of clung their hope onto over the last couple of years, like 2021, that's when they're going to start spending or the 20 going into the 22 season. But looking at one of the most valuable or one of the most coveted players that's going to be available here is shortstop Corey Seager. What is going to make him want to sign with the Mariners when their president just got done trashing Kyle Seager, his older brother to a group of people at the Bellevue Rotary Club? It's got to be the shift in the in the front office, and they have to use this moment. And Curtis, we were talking off air. A, a great 
easy way to to show this is to not hire from within and to not promote someone who's already within this Mariners organization. Are they impacted by the Kevin Mather comments or do they believe those things? That's that's not for us to say. But the the aesthetic of hiring someone within appears as though they have bought into that previous culture and that it's just a continuation of that, which is the absolute worst thing that could happen. And I know the uh, 253 texting me, uh, I know you're a loser and you've, you've been used to losing, but we want to win. And I understand that. And the way you do that is when you're at rock bottom, focusing on the shift and the bounce back, right? And you've hit the ground, your feet are on the ground. How are you going to jump back up? And the easiest way to do that, hiring someone from outside, someone with a different culture and who comes in and, and expresses that right away. And you got to make that clear this season in your actions on the field and in the front office. And then that potential, again, is what drives the free agents, because that's what's going to bring people to Seattle anyways, is the potential, not the big market. You know, it's what the Padres were a few years ago, right? Is that potential of, okay, well, if all these guys come up and I'm the big star there, I'm going to be playing around all these young players and I can be the leader. And and hopefully you emerge into one of those types of teams that builds that way. So they got to shift the front office and the way it's perceived inside and outside of this organization. Absolutely. And I I think I I can't agree with you anymore on that because – we're in the agreement that it needs to be somebody from out the, outside the organization. We've heard from multiple people this week, you know, just their thoughts on whether Theo Epstein fits that bill. It doesn't even have to be him. It can be literally anybody from any organization. Look at the best organizations in Major League Baseball. Maybe go find somebody who isn't exactly the head of the department there, but go to the Dodgers or to the Yankees or to uh, Tampa Bay, Cleveland, you know, somebody like that. Uh, you know, and get somebody that is from a winning culture that knows what it's like from the top down to be on the same page and to build a winner here. I think that is going to be a big reason in how the fans sort of move past what Kevin Mather had to say because, honestly, he kind of insulted the fans at times in that, you know, 45-minute interview talking about price gouging, you know, with the parking lot. Uh, you know, being able to charge thirty, forty, fifty dollars uh, at the at the uh, T-Mobile Park garage, you know, winning heals all. Winning makes everything feel better in sports. Uh, if the Seahawks had won, you know, a, a conference championship or a Super Bowl, Russell Wilson wouldn't have as many gripes as he does with the play calling. Just as here it, with the Mariners, if they had made the playoffs year after year after year there would not be as much hand-wringing around that organization as there has been, you know, over the last two decades. If you win, it makes things, you know, a whole lot easier to stomach. And the fan base is so incredibly starved for a postseason appearance. And, yeah, they're on the right track, but you really hope that none of what was said in in that video by Mather is going to derail them from this upward trajectory that they've been on over the last couple seasons. And not only that, Curtis, they actually have an opportunity here. And and that's rare to say in certain circumstances like this that, 
you know, if a former president of an organization is dragging the organization to be able to grow and get better from this is hard to do. But that's what the Mariners have the opportunity to do. And again, 360 texting in, even if they swing in and they miss on Theo Epstein, just go for it. Do it like show that you care enough about the fans, about winning, that you're at least willing to, to shoot the shot. Whether you make it or miss, I think Mariner fans will understand. Look, it's going to be a tough ask to get him to leave his his nice front office job in the league. But to go for it, to, to make the move, to try to be in it, that's the feeling I think so many Mariner fans are, are searching for and they want to see come from the scenario. And that's where the Mariners have this great opportunity to show the fans and the players more specifically too that they can do it and, and be a organization that's desirable to people outside and fans alike to come and watch them play. So which of these two teams is going to have a tougher time restoring order? Is it the Seahawks with their power trio fighting for control, or is it the Mariners trying to get their players to buy in again and get the fans to buy in again after being put through the ringer this week by ex-president Kevin Mather? We discuss that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in the second hour of Seattle Sports Saturday today, we'll get you a big three. Take a look at the national landscape of sports as well as some comments made by teammates of Russell Wilson this week why they don't seem to be hitting the panic button just yet. But, Taylor, this week in Seattle sports, it's been crazy and we're just trying to let the dust settle of all that has happened between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks and then the Mariners and the fallout from Kevin Mather's comments. But which team do you think is going to have the easier time restoring order or the tougher time restoring order? And text that into the Busy Heart Seltzer text line 710-710. Which team you think is going to have the tougher time getting things back to normal but, Taylor, looking at these two examples, which one do you think will have the harder road back to, I guess, normalcy? It has to be the Mariners, unfortunately, right? And, and look, we just spent the whole last segment talking about the opportunity for them to grow. But their feet are on the ground. They're at a rock bottom, if you will, an organizational rock bottom. And, look, they're is a lot of variables that go into baseball. It, it's, it's a tough sport. And look, the farm system is, is, is taken such a big turn for the positive that you're still afraid that it's going to be like the past where these guys come up and they don't produce. So for me, just because the nature of the game of baseball and the factors that go into it, and like I said in the in a few segments prior to this, I think this is a lot with the Russell Wilson Seahawks scenario. This is a lot of the positioning and leverage you see that happens with a lot of good teams in all sports, and they're already winning. They're winning twelve games a season, guys. Like that's a great mark to be at. And again, if they were in a vacuum to return the exact same team, you would expect them to win. 12 games in the exact same way, right? So the Seahawks and 253 texting in, the Seahawks are closer to winning, but 
the the Mariners have more rebuilding to sort of do in this process. But again, with that comes a great opportunity to really turn this organization around and maybe take that big step forward in less time than maybe other organizations around the league. What do you think, Curtis? Seahawks or Mariners? I look at it like this. This question was kind of formed with the assumption that Russell Wilson is staying in Seattle and that the worst of it has has happened, that the, the frustrations have been aired and everybody has gotten everything off their chest and now they're trying to see how they can, you know, put the pieces back together. For me, I think the Mariners, the worst of it has happened. I think the very worst of their fallout has already happened. I don't know if the very worst of it has has happened yet with the Seahawks and Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll because there is still the possibility, whether it be this year or next year or the year after, that this this marriage does end, that this marriage does come to a very you know bitter end, and, and Russell Wilson gets traded, or or Pete Carroll you know retires out of nowhere. To me, there is a very real possibility that there could still be more coming on the Seahawks front. But if we're going to make the assumption that Russell Wilson does return to the Seahawks in 2021, which I have no reason to believe otherwise, I don't think he's going to get traded. I don't think he's going to go anywhere this year, maybe next year or wherever. I do think the Seahawks will have an easier time of restoring order because they can kind of just go full systems go. They have an opportunity here in free agency and in the draft to make some moves in order to appease Russell Wilson and to make their team a more complete team. Now, whether or not that involves trading some franchise, I guess, icons, like maybe Tyler Lockett, Bobby Wagner, uh, letting K.J. Wright walk, Shaquille Griffin, somebody like that, that's to be seen, but there is opportunity for the Seahawks to make this right. Whereas the Mariners don't necessarily have an immediate opportunity to make this right other than maybe promoting Jared Kelnick right out of the gate. I think that's a way they can, you know, kind of restore order with him and say we do have your back. We want you to be a part of our major league roster in the immediacy and not just, you know, years down the road too. Yeah, and look, 206 texting in talking about Pete Carroll potentially being the problem for the Seahawks and why people aren't talking about him. And look, 206, if it came down to it and it was a choice between Pete or Russ, I think most people would be out of their minds to keep Pete. Even all he's accomplished, he's done such a great job here. This is no disrespect to Pete. But to have the franchise quarterback who still has years left and look, Yes, he's taking the hits, but he hasn't really suffered any of these major injuries. Even like Patrick Mahomes dislocated his kneecap. Like, ugh. Even just saying it is disgusting. (laughs) And he's been able to stay healthy through his NFL career. You would assume he's going to continue on that path for at least five, seven, eight years, somewhere around there. And like you mentioned, Curtis, Pete's contract ends in five years, and he's pretty much made it clear he wanted this to be the last contract he signed. So, yes, the Seahawks do have more to lose in this process, and you could lose a franchise quarterback. You could lose a Hall of Fame coach. You could lose the winning way. You could lose other players 
a Lockett, a Bobby. You, you could lose some of those guys along the way. And the Mariners don't have that because, unfortunately, they've been stuck in this sort of losing rut that what are they going to lose? More games? Are they going to lose? Are less prospects going to hit than before? Like, it just, it'll be the same feeling. So the Seahawks have that, that you know, the big tree fall hard scenario, but the Mariners are just trying to build their tree up right now and get it to grow. 206 uh, with a good text here to the Viziard Seltzer text line. They say, I think the Seahawks have a harder way to bounce back because Russ has to earn back his locker room and how they're not mad at him, I don't know. That is a very good point. We'll get into it a little bit later in the show uh, about a couple of players this week that were on NFL Network and a couple other, uh, I think SiriusXM, KJ Wright went on as well. Uh, They talked about how they weren't necessarily hurt or offended or, or mad about the comments that Russell Wilson had made. Um, do they speak for the team as a whole? Do, do they hold the same weight as somebody is maybe on the offensive line? We'll get into that conversation in the next hour. But, you know, it is a fair point. How do you win back a locker room? Because I, I can't imagine everybody in the locker room is feeling the way Russell Wilson feels about the offensive line, especially guys on the offensive line. And I don't know if everybody's entirely in lockstep with K.J. Wright and L.J. Collier, two guys who... You know, LJ's a first round pick, so there's going to be a, a more job security than, you know, say a late round draft pick. KJ Wright has been a, you know, a staple of the Seahawks organization for like 12 years now. What about a guy, you know, first year player on the offensive line? You know, how do you think Damian Lewis feels about this? How do you think, you know, everybody kind of points to Dwayne Brown? We haven't heard from him. That's kind of the, uh, you know, the million dollar man in this situation here. How do you think the locker room responds to Russell Wilson? Uh, you know, if indeed he is is you know this message of I want better pass protection, if that's not going to ring true to other guys in the locker room, it's a fantastic question. And and to to put myself in that situation, to think about a coworker, you know, calling out the digital department at our station, and then expecting to go and make content with them and to just go on like nothing happened right there are going to be some feelings but good leaders and good um co-workers in any scenario nfl or at your day-to-day job they talk about it they're open they're honest they they speak to each other um about these things and they have these difficult conversations and that's what it's going to take and that's not easy but if i had to literally put a paycheck on one NFL player in maybe in history, being able to go into a locker room. That's a little upset with him and to be able to get on the same page, to care about getting on the same page, the desire to want that I'd take Russell Wilson. He cares so much. Again, this is all from a a place of wanting to win. I think he also cares about the guys in the, in the locker room that he wants to win with. And, that rubs people the wrong way, and there's been people in the past that think that's fake. But from everything we've been led to believe and see, which is all we can use our brains to gather our information from, that that's what we've seen from Russell Wilson. Coming up in the next hour, we'll get you a big three. Also get you updated on some college basketball scores from across the NCAA, including the Huskies and Arizona going on right now. Huskies hanging tough with the Wildcats. 
Uh, also, we will get into that conversation of is there player panic or just things back to normal within that Seahawks locker room after Russell Wilson's comments. That's coming your way in about a half hour from now. More to come here on Seattle Sports Saturday.